Look at chapter 2 for a second. There are three kinds of people that Paul identifies that um, kind of sum up humanity. In verse 12 of chapter 2, it says this, 1 Corinthians 2, 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. There is the spiritual person or the person who has the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual, verse 15, appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. So in verse 14, you have a natural man. You might want to circle that in your Bible or highlight that. In verse 15, you have the spiritual man or the spiritual person able to appraise all things. And then Paul sums that up by saying, For who, ha who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But what do we have? We have the mind of Christ. Now, if you've studied the life of Christ and you've watched him in action there's some good ways to sum up what his thought life or his mind looked like. In fact, he said, I always do those things that what? Please my father. The Bible says that he knew what was in man, so he didn't really entrust himself to man. And he even, the, the disciples that he poured himself into for three, three and a half years, he even knew what was in them. He knew that they would fail. He knew that they would make mistakes. He knew that they would deny him, that they would run away on that uh, night of his passion, when his passion began. He knew that Peter would deny him, though Peter was very confident. When we have the mind of Christ, here's what this means to me. To have the mind of Jesus is to want to focus on the things that please the Father. And not put too much stock in the world, and don't put too much stock in people. <laughs> People will inevitably disappoint you, whether outside the church or inside the church. We have to have this mindset of Christ, always wanting to do those things that please the Father. And then another aspect of Jesus' life is trying to love people even at their worst, right? You know, a woman caught in the act of adultery, someone who made a mistake, a leper, an outcast, whoever it may be. His surprising and amazing love. This is the mindset of Christ. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What was his attitude? That of a servant. So when we are putting on the mind of Christ, it is about serving God and about serving others. It is about seeing life from heaven's perspective. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. Now, two different types of people in chapter 2. A natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. He cannot make good appraisals. He can't make proper appraisals, what we looked at last time, because he doesn't know how to place value where value really is from the mindset of God. So a natural man doesn't get it, and we understand that. When we're talking to a non-Christian, they don't get the concepts that we understand by the Spirit and with our knowledge of Scripture. A spiritual person is able to appraise everything from heaven's point of view, able to place value where value really lies, on eternal things, on the beauty of the things of God and how God would have us to look at life. There's a third person mentioned in chapter 3, 
And it is a carnal Christian. And I, brethren, could not speak to you, chapter 3, verse 1, as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh or carnal, as to babes in Christ. And I will tell you that this third category has received a bit of debate. There are certain people in the church over time who have said, there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. You are either a Christian or you're not. You're either spiritual or you're not. I will tell you that even though sometimes that can sound pretty compelling, they could say that a carnal Christian, a fleshly Christian, a worldly Christian is a contradiction in terms. I'm still going to argue that it's a real category based upon chapter 3. Because the Bible teaches that there's such a thing as a carnal or worldly Christian. So you have a spiritual person, you have the natural man, the spiritual man, and a carnal Christian. Now, right out of the gate, I would ask you, as we study this, which do you think you are? Now, some of you might say, well, sometimes I'm spiritual, Pastor Michael, and sometimes I'm carnal. It depends on what time of the day it is. What, what's going on in my life? What freeway traffic looks like? How people are responding to me at work and at home? I feel you. But the biggest thing to remember about these categories is not whether or not you ebb and flow in and out of them at times, but ultimately what you are characterized by in the big picture. If someone watched you all week, would you be characterized as spiritual as natural or as carnal if we followed you with a video camera for a week what would we document of course it would have to be a hidden camera because we'd be on our best behavior if we knew the camera was there right so this is about big picture themes big strokes because we all know we make mistakes we all know we fall short. We all know we would like to be at one level, and sometimes we find ourselves at a lower level. We, we understand that, but I'm talking about the sweeping ideas of what you are known as from the big picture perspective. And so Paul breaks into the teaching, carnal or growing. Look at verse 1, chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, Chapter 3, verse 1, but as to men of flesh, King James says carnal, ESV says people of the flesh, as to babes in Christ. Let's read from the NIV. It says, brothers, I could not address you or talk to you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants or babes in Christ. Now, I mentioned the significant debate about whether there's such a category as a carnal Christian I think there is, based upon this verse. And I want you to notice in verse 1 that when Paul addresses this category of person, he says, brethren or brothers. So he addresses them as family. Okay? So these are people who are brothers in the Lord, sisters in Christ. But he says, I can't talk to you, verse 1, as spiritual, but as men of the flesh. Mere infants, but what are they? They are infants in Christ. Now, you might want to mark that. They are in Christ, but they are babies. Now, it is legitimate to see that there is a category of a baby Christian. Amen? Someone gets saved. You get to preach the gospel to them. They respond to the gospel. 
Now they're a baby Christian. They've been born again to a living hope, but for some people, they know nothing. They don't know John 3.16. They don't know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They don't know 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. They know nothing. So when you get a brand new baby Christian, what do you have to do? You have to give them the basics. You can't expect that they're going to talk to you about, you know, major doctrines, about the dual nature of Christ or the Trinity. Most of us have a tough enough time. We've been in the Lord for 30 years defining the Trinity. So we have to start with the basics, and we expect babies to be babies. We don't serve a six-month-old baby a T-bone steak and just flop it on their high tray, right? Good luck with that, Junior, right? We don't throw a double-double at them. They eat breast milk, and that's what they need to grow. Or they drink milk, and that's what we expect a baby to have. That's, what, that's the nutrients they need at that stage of life. But all things being equal, if we saw a 7-year-old in our nursery with a bottle going, or a 37-year-old... <laughs> Walk by the nursery. <laughs> We're going to be concerned, right? Because there is a time to drink milk, a time to be a baby. It's an acceptable time. It's, it's acknowledged. But then there's a time to grow. And once you grow, you want to develop an appetite for the deeper things of God. Hunger is a sign of health. Milk is being served all over this town, all over this country. You can get it everywhere. In fact, most of the churches that are startup churches are serving up milk. Do you know why? Because they think that the, the person that walks into a church really just wants surfacey stuff. You get them in, you get them out, and they can move on with their normal life. That's not what we're doing here. We believe that there's a time for milk, but then there's a time to grow up. And if you're hungry to go deeper this morning, praise God. Because there's a time to move on from milk to the deeper things. Now, I'm not saying milk isn't appropriate for some situations, but there's a time to move on. How long, you know, just taking a normal baby, mothers tell me, how long does a baby probably survive on milk? What would you say? Yell it out. A year? Two years? Maybe three? Okay. Paul had planted this church about five years before this. And he got a report from Chloe's people that they were fighting and arguing. They had partisan uh, you know, factions and they were divided and they were arguing over silly, stupid things. They were not being a light in the town or in the city. They were acting as worldly people. And Paul says, I want to talk to you as spiritual people. I want to talk to you as a person who's walking by the Spirit, who's not carnal, who's governed by the Spirit, but I can't talk to you that way. i got to talk to you like you're a baby. i got to talk to you like you're still an infant in Christ, although by this time you should have grown. You should have grown up. And so I can't address you as spiritual. Look at verse 1 but as worldly, as men of the flesh. The Greek word is sarkinas. 
It means carnal, worldly, pertaining to the flesh, and it's best characterized as a baby. A baby is very selfish. You ever seen a baby in their high chair waiting for their food with that spoon? <laughs> right? And then, and then they might throw things at you. You never know what's going to happen. We often say babies think they're the center of the universe, and they do, right? <laughs> they have demands, and they, they want things now. Ray Stedman says, Babies are delightful little creatures up to a point. <laughs> Listen, they're cute, they suck their toes, they gurgle. I love babies, but they require a lot of care. They're messy, they spit up, and they spill things. No one minds the fact that a baby acts like a baby, that's normal. But when a child turns five or ten or more and still needs to be burped, imagine that picture for a second, and bathed and have his or her diapers changed, Something is wrong. Would you flip over to 1 Corinthians 13 for a second? This is the famous love chapter, and we'll, we'll get here as we move through the book, but I want to show you something that Paul said. Remember, Paul's talking about love, and love is one of the uh, signs of maturity, selfless love. Look at verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, When I was a child, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, Reason as a child. When I became a man, what, what does Paul say? I did away with childish things. There's a time to grow up. There's a time to be a child. There's time that, you know, marks our periods of life. Again, all things being equal. But then there's a time to grow up. There's a time to move through the seasons of life and to even celebrate those seasons, even to talk about rites of passage. As Christians, you know, we move through rites of passage, if, if you will, spiritually speaking, where we get more knowledge of God, more knowledge of Scripture, more intimacy in the relationship with the Lord. We learn more about prayer, more about witnessing, more about worship. There's a different place we are today than we have been prayerfully in the past. And Paul said, I'd love to address you that way, but you're still thinking and acting like babies. Back to chapter 3. You're dominated by the flesh. They had the Spirit of God living in them. They were in Christ, but they were acting like babies. Rad Redpath says, the carnal Christian is a child of God, born again and on his way to heaven, but he is traveling third class. And there's a lot of Christians that do that, sadly. They haven't grown up. They've been around the things of God for quite a long time, but they haven't grown up. And years don't always mean maturity. There are people that you can meet that have been in the church for decades, and their time as a believer does not necessarily equate with their maturity. So what does bring maturity then? Well, growth does. Getting into God's Word going deeper with him. These people were going through what I think every one of us has gone through and still goes through, the struggle with the flesh. The things that I want to do, sometimes I don't do. The things that I hate, I sometimes find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? We know Paul then gives thanks 
to God through Jesus Christ. The victory is in Christ. See, the more you grow, the more you know you need Jesus. I need him in every aspect of my life to move my selfishness out of me, to teach me to love the way that he loves. It's such a struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We all feel it. We all sense it. And the moment that we feel like we've taken two steps forward, it can often feel like we've taken three steps back. So we all can relate to that. But at some point in our lives, we have to decide that we want to grow. Paul says, I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world. I couldn't talk to you as though you were strong in your walk with Jesus. Spurgeon says, Satan uses the power of the world and the flesh. They serve his purpose for evil well. And they are enemies to us, so we fight with spiritual weapons, God's word and God's spirit. He says, I believe the holier a man becomes, the more he mourns over the unholiness which remains in him. I'm sure you've been there before. You know, we, we look at that world out there and we know sometimes we, we take more of it in than sometimes we do the things of God. And if you think that 45 minutes on a Sunday morning when you crack open your Bible for a sermon here is going to do it, I have to tell you, it ain't. It's going to help you but if this is the only time that you crack open the Word of God, you're not going to grow. I just have to be quite candid with you. You're not going to grow beyond really just a basic immaturity unless you start opening the Word of God for yourself. J. Vernon McGee, in his classic style, says, Most normal Christians who are doing what they're supposed to be doing stand out as extraordinary because most of the church is carnal. Wow. That's hard to take, but maybe it's what we need to hear. Paul says, I gave you milk to drink, 1 Corinthians 3, 2, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it, and eat, indeed even now you are not yet able. Now remember, Bible students, that Paul taught the Corinthians himself for 18 months. So he knows where he speaks. He had poured into them the basics of the faith for a year and a half. They had one of the best teachers that's ever walked the planet. A man who was receiving revelation of the New Testament from Jesus himself. So this man was an incredible teacher. And they had him as a teacher. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready, NIV. You see, milk is appropriate for a time, but you're still not ready for the meat. Do you think, I was asking my family members as I was studying this, do you think that a, an adult could survive on milk alone? I guess maybe possibly, but it's not really food. How long could you survive? Could you do a week on milk? I can't even, I can't do milk anymore. Anybody else out there? You get older, milk just, uh, it's not agreeing with me these days. <laughs> and so I've opted for almond milk. Anybody out there? I, I don't even know how this works, but uh, apparently almonds can be crushed into some sort of substance that is supposed to make you feel better when you pour it over cereal. Right? How well, how strong would you be? Let's just take almond milk for ex an example, and it's a sacrifice, but it's one that some of us have had to make. How, how strong would you be? How vibrant would you be if you spent 
all the week just on almond milk alone. Breakfast, go, 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 go. Lunch, go, 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 go. Snack, go, 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 go. Second breakfast, go, 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 go. Second lunch. <laughs> how, how strong would you be? You see, it would be insufficient to make you all that you're supposed to be. You might, be, you might get by for a while on the milk, but you'd be lacking nutrients and very vital things for your life. And in the same way as a Christian, if you're not getting the full nutrients of the things of God on a regular basis, listening to messages, worshiping God in your car, opening your Bible during the week, you're going to stay a baby. Your growth is going to be stunted. And some of you know this firsthand because that's where you are right now. Your growth as a Christian has been stunted. You think more about worldly things than you do about the things of God. You don't have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of the media or the mind of the world or the mind of this or the mind of that. Let's be real. Well, how does that change, Pastor Michael? You change the channel. You change what you do. You change your diet. If you want to get healthy, if you talk to a, a nutritionist and, a, and you, tell, you say to the nutritionist, I really want to get healthy, the nutritionist is going to say, well, what's your diet look like? Well, let's see. I have Cocoa Puffs in the morning. <laughs> bologna sandwich at 10 a.m. <laughs> you know, chips, you know, you name it. Ice cream three times a day. Look, this is my diet, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> The nutritionist is going to say, if you want to get healthy, you've got to change your diet. You've got to start to take in nutrients that will optimize the way you've been designed. God designed you to commune with Him. If you've been made in the image of God and you're a natural man and you never know God, that is a tragedy. Think about it. You've been made in the image of God. You're a human being. You've experienced common grace. You've had the Imago Dei put on you by the Creator Himself. And you, if you never get to know your Creator, you, it's, a, it's a tragedy. Nothing less. But a close second is a Christian who is born again but remains almost uh, looking like the world, basically. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying it's time to grow up. What is, the, what is the milk that Paul speaks of? One writer says it is the elementary teaching that doesn't progress beyond the basics of the Christian faith. For example, evangelistic preaching, telling people how to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, is an elementary teaching. Vital, yes, but still elementary. It's milk, not meat. It's important, but it's only the beginning. God doesn't want us to remain babies forever. He wants us to acquire a taste for meat. What is meat? It is preaching and teaching that unfolds the riches of the gospel so that we can stop being children and start growing to maturity. Ephesians 4.14 says, As a result, we are no longer to be children or infants, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. What do you have to tell a child constantly? Be careful, watch out for this. They think they know more than they know. So you always have to be reminding them how to stay out of trouble, how to do the right thing, how to watch out for danger. 
But there's a time when you become an adult where you move on from those things. Here's an example of milk versus meat. Jesus died for my sins. That's milk, important, but it's for the beginner. It's such a simple truth that children as young as four or five can understand it. I've died with Christ and I'm raised with Christ, so I'm dead to sin. Now that's meat. It's more difficult and demanding a concept. It requires a response in our daily lives. Spiritual milk flows into us and simply has to be swallowed in order to be digested. But spiritual meat is more substantial. It needs to be chewed. It doesn't go down as easily as milk. It requires more work on our part to ingest it and digest it. Amen? So sometimes we hear something and we say, man, I need to chew on that. That's deep. And if that's where you are, praise God. Amen? Sometimes we walk away and we say, you know what? I'm going to have to just meditate on that section for a while. I'm going to have to chew on that. I'm going to have to digest that for a while. Good. You see, we don't want it to be easy, do we? We want it to be challenging so that we can grow. And so some believe that even the Corinthian church was saying that Paul's teaching was milk. It was milky, but in fact it was meat and so let's look at verse 3 together as we move on paul says but you are for you are still fleshly verse 3 for since there is jealousy and strife among you are you not fleshly are you not walking like mere men niv says you are still worldly for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you are you not worldly are you not acting or walking like mere men now, we can all say that one of the indicators of childishness is quarreling and fighting. If you've ever taken your family on a road trip, you know how this works, right? Usually the question is, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? When are... <laughs> we'll get there when we get there! And you often are driving, you have to turn around, I'm not even going to watch the road anymore! Maybe we'll get there. I don't even know. Right? He touched me. I got to go to the bathroom. He touched me. He took this. He took that. And you're like, quiet! <laughs> I need a vacation from my vacation. Quarreling, fighting over toys, over this, over that. Well, that's the report that Paul got about the Corinthians. Jealousy is the inward sense Quarreling is what comes out on the outside. And so all through the Bible, you look at Israel, they quarreled with Moses. You look at the church, look, there's been a lot of quarrels in the church over the years over silly things. And it's been largely, if you were to walk it back, oftentimes about selfishness. Well, I don't like that. I, I don't prefer that. I, I, I don't care for that. And it turns into a quarrel because it becomes all about you instead of about Christ. And so we don't have the mind of Christ, and we end up getting into it. Turn over Galatians. This is a little bit to your right. Galatians 5. This is a section that deals with the spirit and the flesh. And so how do we know we're growing? Well, we look at the crop. We look at the fruit so 
Are you carnal or growing? Look at the crop, look at the fruit. Look at Galatians 5, look, look at verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh, Galatians 5, 19, are evident. Think of the deeds of carnality are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, which speaks of hostility and animosity, strife is the word for quarrels there, Galatians 5.20. What's the next word? Jealousy. Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, which is division, factions, that was going on in the Corinthian church, envying, another form of jealousy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things are categorized by such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit, here's the spiritual person, is what? It's love. And all these branch from the trunk of love. It's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now if I step back and look at my life, and I was to do a diagnostic test, and I believe that these are what these questions are about in 1 Corinthians 3, if you turn back there, they're diagnostic questions. They're questions meant to determine health. So everybody just pause for a second, take a deep breath. Okay. The questions Paul is asking are meant to be a diagnostic about the spiritual health of the church. You go to your doctor, and the doctor begins to ask questions. Have you noticed? That's, this is what doctors do. They ask questions. They want to know what's going on. Okay, does it hurt here? How does this feel? What's going on with this? They ask diagnostic questions to determine your health. And you're the best one to answer those questions because you know yourself. And so the diagnosis comes. The questions help us to assess where we are. In a given week, where is my life? What's it being characterized by? Jealousy, strife, quarrels? Fleshly debates, worldly thinking, or fruits of the Spirit. Again, characterized by, not perfectly, but hopefully consistently. Hebrews 5.11 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. He's unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, which speaks of habit, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. They know how to appraise things properly. That's Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. So Paul looks at the Corinthian church and he says, man... I'd like to go deeper. I'd like to talk to you about the riches of Christ and other things, but I've got to address you at this level because what I hear is going on is a lot of quarreling and fighting. For one says, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 3, I'm of Paul. Another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not mere men? Gutzik says, you might think Paul would be more kind to his own fan club Instead of letting their praise stroke his ego or flesh, 
Paul even denounced his own partisans. Paul says, who am I? What am I? Imagine that uh, we had a classic guitarist up here. We have some great guitar players. And you see some guitars over there. They're called instruments. Now, Pastor Michael, at one point in my life, was a drummer. Okay? Some of you, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I believe it. It's true. I used to go from the drums to the pulpit. Those days are now behind me. I know about two or three chords on a guitar. I cannot make that guitar do what Kim can do or Shane can do and others. If I picked up that guitar right now and started strumming it, many of you would leave this church, right? Because the instrument is one thing, but what really matters is who's playing it and how skilled they are at playing it. That instrument is only as good as the one who's playing it. Every servant of the Lord from the time that Jesus inaugurated the church till the time he returns will only be an instrument. That's all we are. And really what matters is the master playing us to the tune of how he wants it to come out. The instrument is nothing without the master's touch. And Paul's saying, look, you guys are getting into all these human factions. I follow this teacher. I follow that teacher. Paul says, we're nothing. We're just simply people that the Lord used. What then is Apollos? Look at verse 5. What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, as the Lord assigned a task to each one. I planted, verse 6, I planted the seed, NIV. Apollos watered. But what happened? But God was causing the growth. God made it grow. As a, someone who maybe plants a plant in your backyard, or a, what are they called, a horticulturalist, you could plant a crop, you can do the soil, you can do the seed, you can water and allow the sunlight to hit it, but the ultimate way that that plant grows is not by your expertise, it's by things or laws that God has put into place. You put a couple things in the ground the right way with water, sunlight, but God makes it grow. And here's the point that Paul's trying to make. Take your focus off of people and put it on Jesus where it belongs. You see, worldly thinking is about stars and, and, and you know, the spotlight and all of that. That's not what the church is about. They were focused more on the delivery method, the teacher than they were on the one who causes the growth. It was about competition. But why put servants on a pedestal? Look, we are to esteem men and women in the church for their work, but we're to remember that they are only instruments. They are only jars of clay. Amen? And they were getting so caught up in what we might consider personality cults, they were losing their way. So neither the one who plants, verse 7, nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. God makes things grow. So what was the use of fighting? Which two nothings was the greater, says McLaren. <laughs> Why do we fight about which instrument was greater when the one who's playing it is the one that really matters? Amen? We have to look past the people to Christ. We can follow people as they follow Christ, but we have to be very careful that we don't start 
making our whole walk about a certain teacher. In fact, I would argue that you need to be hearing from multiple teachers because you get different perspectives. The diamonds turned a little bit different by different teachers. Don't just listen to one person. Turn on the radio during the week. There are so many great pastors out there. Listen to what they have to say and grow. Don't get just stuck on one. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. They're not divided. They're not in competition. They're one. But each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. Each will be rewarded according to his own labor. The church is one. Later in 1 Corinthians 12, we will learn that the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. We are many parts, but we are what? We're one body. And we have to do the work together. If one part of the body is hurting, we all should be hurting. If one part of the body is rejoicing, we all should be rejoicing. How many of you heard Pastor Brunson was released from a Turkish prison? Praise the Lord. Amen. See, we can't just have narrowed vision. We have to widen our vision as Christians. We have to have kingdom priorities. We have to be looking to the big picture of the kingdom of God and how we can win our city, this state, and this nation to Christ. We need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for other churches. If you drive by another church, pray for that pastor. We need to be, it's, this is not about competition. This is about the body of Christ trying to win our city. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul would say, Apollos and I, we are just working in the field. You are the field. You are the building. God wants us to come together united in one purpose. Without God, we cannot. And then often, I think in most cases, without us, he will not. Without God, I can do nothing. Nothing. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. But with God, we can do how many? All things. So Paul says to the Corinthian church, and maybe this could apply to Corona. Grow up. It's time to grow. There's a time for milk and a time for meat. There's a time to be a child and a time to put away childish things. There's a time to be the field and then a time to get into the field. Amen? Because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And the devil loves to use division tactics. A house divided cannot stand. So if he can get the church divided or get your marriage divided or find some way to get his foot in the door, he will render you ineffective when you focus on the wrong things. We've all been there before, right? But if we can get the mind of Christ on, and I think we have to do this every day, and say, Lord, give me your heart. Give me your eyes. Give me your heart for people. Give me your eyes for your church. Give me your heart for the lost. Help me to be about your business. Things change. Father, we thank you for this section. It's not a, 
easy one, but it's a needful one. We want to grow. We want to grow up in the things of Jesus. We want to be mature. We want to be those who are sowing the seed or watering. One plants, another waters, but God makes things grow. And I have to ask myself this question. When's the last time I planted a seed? When's the last time I watered a seed? You're the one that makes things grow, but I want to be about the business of planting, sowing, and watering. And I want to thank you for those who are planting seeds. Sometimes we feel we've been ineffective if a person doesn't give their life to Christ right there. But we often plant seeds with our lives, with our witness, sharing the gospel, even if someone doesn't respond. Lord, encourage us not to give up. Some of us have had the privilege to water seeds planted by others. We've been able to pray with someone to receive Christ, but it's only because people have been praying and planting seeds long before we ever got there. But ultimately, we need to remember whether we planted the seed or we water it, God brings the growth. You are in the saving business, Lord. And we want to be about your business. And we could see how Corinth was thrown off by focusing on the wrong things, focusing on people and quarreling, and they were losing their influence, influence in their city. They were back to milk. We want to grow up, Lord, so that we can influence this city with the light of Jesus Christ, with the hope of the gospel. Help us, Lord. Man, so many times we can feel like we revert back we walk back, but we want to we grow. We want to move forward, Lord. So would you just bow your heart right now? As the Holy Spirit speaks to you through his word, as he ministers to your heart, maybe it's encouragement, maybe it's exhortation, maybe it's comfort. I pray that you would just hear his voice. Just meditate on the word of God right now. Just let his his voice be heard above all the other voices. Just take a few moments to say, Lord, I want to grow. I want to know you better. Can I encourage you as you take these moments, don't get overwhelmed. Just make some small changes. Little by little. I think wisdom says make small, right, directional changes. Father, help those who are doing some business with you and if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you keep your head and heart bowed? If you've not met him, if you're a natural man and you don't get the things of the Spirit, the Bible makes no sense to you. Maybe you've been in church for a long time, but you're not sure you're even born again. It's something like this. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Thank you that you died on that cross for me. Pray it if it's you. Thank you that you rose from the dead. I want to be born again. I, I want to know what it means to have the life of the Spirit. I repent of my sin and receive you as my Lord and my Savior. If you've been carnal, you've been around the church for a long time, but maybe carnal fits you right at this moment, then do some business with the Lord and say, Lord, I want to grow. I want to move on from the elementary things. I want to go deeper with you today. I want to start that, that direction. He'll hear your prayer. And he'll want you to honor him by making some positive choices. Father, thank you for those who are 
doing just that. And I want to praise you for this wonderful congregation that is hungry for the word, is impacting the city, and making a difference while there's yet breath in their lungs. And I pray that that would continue and would continue to thrive. In Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.